0: You are listening to the IFH Podcast Network. For more amazing filmmaking and screenwriting podcasts, just go
1: to ifhpodcastnetwork.com. Welcome to the Indie Film Hustle Podcast, episode number 671. I've been trying to squeeze a dollar out of a dime, and I even got a cent. DJ Hustle and Flow. audiobook. If you want to order it, just head over to www.filmbizbook.com. That's filmbizbook.com. Well, guys, today on the show, we have writer, director extraordinaire, Craig Brewer. And Craig is the director and creator of the films Hustle and Flow, Black Snake Moan, Dolomite is my name, Footloose, the remake, and Coming to America too, just to name a few. Craig has been in the trenches, hustling for many, many years. I've loved his work ever since I was at the same Sundance that he was at with Hustle and Flow, where I met Terrence Howard for five seconds before he blew up and before that whole movie blew up. And the stories about how Hustle and Flow got to get made, what happened with John Singleton, Uh, the legendary, great, late John Singleton, uh, and so much more. Such a great conversation that Craig and I had. It is frank, it is raw, and it is entertaining, to say the least. So without any further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Craig Brewer. I'd like to welcome to the show Craig Brewer, man. How are you doing, Craig?
0: I'm doing good. Doing good.
1: Thank you so much for coming on the show, man. And I appreciate you having a good mic, a beautiful background. I appreciate that, sir.
0: I it's all for you. It's all for you. No, you know, I have a, I have one of these um, uh, uh, pandemic purchases, uh, the, this oh. Amazon uh, mic that I'm sure uh, microphone enthusiasts would say is not uh, superior, but uh, it, it, it worked for that whole press junket that I had to do for coming to America where I couldn't be in the room with anybody. Right, so right. Uh, it's 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 fine for me.
1: But listen, man, I've been following you. Uh, like I was telling you earlier, man, I was following you since uh, Hustle and Flow days. I was at Sundance. I had a five, I think a 10 or 15 second conversation with Terrence as he was rushing pre screening uh, of them, because after that, you couldn't even touch him
0: <laughs> after <Right>. the screening. <laughs> but but pre screening, right. right. I caught him
1: on the street and talked to him for a few seconds. Um, but yeah, I was there with that. And uh, I was what there. What a wild, the... wild oh, my... festival we'll talk... that was. We'll, talk, we'll, we'll definitely talk about but first question to you, my friend, is why in God's green earth did you decide to go into the film industry?
0: <laughs> you know, it's so funny because, um, so not only am I now, like I'll be turning 52 at the end of this year, mm-hmm. but my daughter is now uh 15 and i think that for the and 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 i'm very pleased to say that um you know it's friday and she holds these um screenings with all her friends here in in my office space which i i have like a big it's kind of like a little mini theater here and she's showing john carpenter's uh, halloween oh. and i was so proud that i mean she loves the david gordon greenway but she i'm so proud that she's showing the original to all her friends who haven't seen it And it made me think back on my when when I was, you know, probably about like 12 through 14 for my generation was a very unique time because and I was trying to explain this to my daughter that, you know, there was a time where you couldn't just see movies if you wanted to see them. There was like four channels and, you know, maybe on the weekends you would get like, you know, some Westerns or something like that. But there was this explosion that happened with my father in the 80s of going down to a video store and him going like oh my god okay you get um you know uh you 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 get Raiders of the Lost Ark but i'm going to get Bridge on the River Kwai and so yeah we'd watch raiders but then like dad would watch his movie and i could watch it you know and so a lot of my love of movies really came from that was the equivalent of me and my dad like throwing the ball around you know i wasn't really that Still, I'm not athletic or anything like that. And, uh, but he loved, he loved movies. He loved talking about movies. He loved showing movies to me. And I think that's where it was. It was like, at first I wanted to be an archeologist because I saw Raiders and loved it. Yeah. But then I saw the making of
1: Raiders. Yeah. Which by the way, was one of the few making of videos other than Star Wars that was available about filmmaking. In the video store times, I mean, because that was rentable. It was if I remember was making Raiders of the Lost Ark. And then the second part was like a stuntman stunts,
0: the stunts of Raiders of the Lost Ark. Right, right. And amazing. And and around the same time, you know, was the making of Thriller, which Mm. ultimately financed Thriller. Like, Thriller was one of the biggest music videos of all time, and the way that the label justified it was like, okay, we'll get in the movie business. We'll make this movie called The Making of Thriller, and that'll offset it, and and it became a huge hit for them as well. But it got me in the habit as a young person to go like, okay, well, wait a minute. There's this guy named Spielberg, and he made Raiders of the Lost Ark. And, And then here's this guy, George Lucas, who I know is the guy at the beginning of Star Wars that I would watch. See, up until then, I think especially when I was younger with Star Wars, like it still was that place of fantasy. You just went into a movie theater and these things just appeared. But then with the making of Raiders, I was like, oh, that guy. And then like the making of 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 Thriller I was like, oh, Landis, this guy. And That was the beginning of like truly being like, I guess, a a cinephile where you you begin to say, well, who is this filmmaker and what is their next film? And I remember my father and I standing in line, knowing that we were going to see Steven Spielberg's new movie called E.T. Like Ah, it was up until then, it would have just been E.T. But to us, we were seeing that guy, Steven Spielberg's new movie. And so I think that because I went into theater and I, I I was acting a lot as a kid and writing a lot. Movies was the the dream. It was that thing that's like, oh, if one day I could maybe make make some movies, you know I mean, that that, that it, I just didn't think that there would be anything cooler on the planet to do. and And because I just didn't have all the means immediately, I started just writing theater and writing and directing plays, which completely completely informed directing movies for me mm-hmm. um staging working with creative people but also working with people who are probably cranky and different personalities and uh <laughs> trying to get actors comfortable and all that kind of stuff i think was because of those early days of theater but yeah uh, th- th- where i tell people all the time like when you're part of that crew that that growing family of people who who love movies um you know we take everybody You know, that's the that's the great thing about about the movie club, you know, is that uh, you can be the popular kid, you can be the, you know, overweight kid like I was where you just wanted to kind of like, be a part of of something be a part of a big conversation.
1: That's, that's awesome. Yeah, it's, it's. It's, it's pretty insane. And I, I I worked at a video store. Uh, so I, I worked- Which one? Do you mind me asking which one? No, it was a mom and pop in, in, in down in South Florida. It was a mom and pop one. Blockbuster had, I was working pre-blockbuster. So yeah, Blockbuster was just getting up, but I was there for four years, five years. And that's where I got my start. Like I just, I would just considerably consume vi- movies and play Nintendo. Consume movies and play yeah. Nintendo. That's all I did. And it was a, you're right. It was a time that, hard for people to understand now that weren't growing up at that time, but you, you just didn't have access to movies. Like,
0: well, and it, I, I think the thing that I worry most about with um the generation today is, I mean, even though there's an argument that not everything is accessible, but because things are so accessible, it's almost blinding. It's almost like it it's is. too, it's too, there, there's just too many things to see. And, yeah. but back in the day, Uh, there, there wasn't a, I mean, yeah, you could like, you, you had your HBOs, you had like, you know, things like that, but
1: we'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show.
0: But really like you, you had what was coming out on, on VHS. Like I, I just, some movies like like blue thunder, you know, oh, and, God, uh, yeah. and, and, <laughs> yeah. uh, and then you, and then suddenly you'll get one where you just go like, Oh, this cover's so great. But then you're watching like Roger Corman's humanoids from the deep. And I'm watching like a, a creature explode out of it or the uh exter- oh, Well, that was like the big deal. Like that, that was the equivalent of like, you know, um, no, excuse me, not exterminator reanimator was the, the oh, yeah, movie that, was, yeah. that almost was like, was passed around like porn it was this thing that like oh my god it's so crazy like don't let your parents know that you're watching this and
1: well that's faces of death if you remember that
0: oh yeah well that's like that that wasn't porn (laughs) that was like that was like snuff that was like oh my god like i hope god isn't watching me watch this how
1: did that get five five sequels (laughs) (laughs) Like, <laughs>
0: well, it's, it's where we are now. I mean, it's just I mean, I mean, faces of death is where I, I mean, that that's live leak. That's uh, that's 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 basically, w- w- you know, when people are going online and they can look at something that they probably shouldn't be looking at. Right. Uh, that was the early days of that. That was like, oh, I'm going to watch that woman get hit by a train. You know, oh my and God and it's
1: crazy stuff, man. It's insane. really crazy. And I saw it, it young
0: too. Like, it probably wasn't right. It really wasn't right for us. Yeah, I, think I, saw,
1: I think I watched Scarface and then Faces of Death. You had a death. that's a
0: that's a bang bang. You <laughs> I, just you, you it, took a, a gut punch and then one to the face.
1: I was like, what, 14, 15 at the time or something like that? It oh, was I, crazy.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: But you know, but it's interesting though that you're saying that there's so much content in the world today. and And, you know, when we were coming up, you know, the movie star was the movie star, you know, it was, mm-hmm. it was, there was a thing called the movie star and it drew, drove everything. And to yeah. a lesser extent today, it still does. But the movie stars that are driving things today are legacy movie stars that have been around for 25 years, like the Leo's and the Brad Pitt's and the Tom Cruise's, you know, and those kind of, but the new generations that I don't think, the, I think because there's so much more to watch, it's harder for somebody to become a movie star even if in, even in a big giant blockbuster kind of thing like even the girl from Wednesday which if Wednesday would have hit in the 80s she would be a household name making Julia Roberts money every time she would walk up
0: oh yeah yeah you know it's it's interesting because i i have these debates with myself about that like okay are we are we leaving the movie star era but maybe we're just leaving the movie star era that 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 I knew where cool. even though I'll still like, OK, if Tom Cruise, I always feel like if Tom Cruise is going to put out a movie, then I need to go see it. Absolutely. I, I and, and, and I feel like everybody should do because I feel like there's few people out there that I think are still have his work ethic where he is saying like, no, I'm making movies for those people that like. Actually, work for a living and need to go out to see a movie theater. They're going out with their kids, and 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 damn it, I'm going to let them know that I'm working my ass off for them. That's kind of rare that that you have someone who's yeah. like, yeah, I'm going to hang off the side of a jumbo.
1: Did you just you see the new thing? He like flew his, his his motorcycle up in the air, and then and you see yeah. me, and you see Chris, you see the director Chris and, just sitting there like, uh, uh, it's gonna, where's the shoot? When's the shoot popping?
0: <laughs> I'm I'm telling you, until. Until you are a director, there's even a, there's a moment where you see, you know, uh, Christopher McQuarrie, like, like someone is like, like holding them after the set, because (laughs) until you have a stunt, until you do a stunt as a director. Oh, you don't, I mean, the, the Mm -hmm. terror that you have, that someone is going to get hurt or killed is is so real and um because you're it, almost with every movie that you're doing you're tempting fate for like you're inviting bad things to happen and then sure. you have someone like Tom Cruise who's like you know yes he's a he's a professional and he's he's got like the best stunt team around and he and he's pr- preparing for these things for months but that's just terrifying and so i think that when audiences see that they know that that they recognize it. they go okay well thank you for that but i think the same could be said I think that what we have now is, you know, you have like, yeah, you have, we are in our, we are, we are undoubtedly in the superhero. er, er, I mean, I, I, there will be a Tashin book one day where we're in this era of, of superheroes. Like this will be the book that's like, okay, it kind of started here with, I I would say that it really started with Superman, like the original Christopher Reeve, like where, where they go, no, we're going to get good actors. Uh, we're going to get like even Academy Award winning actors to be in this. It's like, really? In the in the comic book thingy? Like, but they but even back then with with, with Richard Donner, like there was this sense of like, no, we want to oh, we yeah. want to make a, a, like if the Godfather to is if the Godfather is to uh, mafia gangster movies, then we want to do a Superman or like a, a comic book movie in the same way. And and really, so you're you're and I know it's been said it's like Spider-Man is the star. Right, who plays him is going to change, but Spider Man is the star. But now I've also found that what also is the star, and which is kind of cool on a storytelling what uh, uh, element, is the high concept of it. It Is so. So you may not have like huge stars in Get Out, but everybody was talking about Get Out. It's Mm -hmm. like and. And I mean, yes, you have Sandra Bullock, but I mean, I remember when Bird Box hit, and like you're now being hit with everybody going like, "Oh my god, did you see Bird Box?" Mm-hmm. And it reminded me of kind of like you know just movies back in the day where, I mean, you know, to be honest with you, Terminator was this because Terminator oh, yeah. when it came out was not like that big of a theatrical hit. We discovered it on VHS HBO. because people were like have you seen this movie about like the, the, the people are going back in time to kill the mother of the person There's who this ended.
1: big muscle bound dude. And like,
0: <laughs> yeah, it was the concept of it that we, it, yeah. it, there was no stars in it that we were going like, Oh my God, I got to go see Michael means new movie. No, it was like, this concept is driving it. And I feel that that we're now here with Megan and in horror, you know, I just don't, I, I hope that people will still do it with comedy and, and drama as well uh but uh it's we're we're in a very unique time right now
1: no question man no question so let's get let's go deep a little bit into your past sir um your first film was poor and hungry which yeah uh which how did you get that yeah that little guy made because uh, that was your first feature right that was the first first thing you ever did
0: it was i i still feel it's my best actually wow I, that's amazing yeah yeah you've done I mean, some good stuff sir <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. But it, it's well, and and the reason why it's my best is because of what it meant to me. You know, my I i, w- I had moved all my families from Memphis, but I lived a lot of my life in California. Um, and then I moved back after both my granddads died here in Memphis. And I, I moved into the house that my dad grew up in. And my grandmother was, you know, she had suffered from a stroke. And so I was kind of like helping out with that. But I really wanted to make a movie in the south. And what had happened was I just really failed a lot. Like I, I, it, it, I did what everybody did in the nineties or what we were encouraged to do, which was, you know, spend your credit cards and, and, and make, make that movie. And yeah, I'm glad I did it, but it's still, I I didn't really know what I was doing. I was shooting on 16 millimeter and it just, I, I didn't even have the money to finish it really. And so I was really kind of depressed and I, I was hanging out at this bar called the PNH cafe, which stood for poor and hungry. And I started writing this, uh, movie about car thieves in Memphis. And it was a love story. And I wrote this, I wrote it and I sent it off to my dad and who was always really supportive of me. And, and he read it and he just gave me like this great, you know, Hey, get back in there, you know, don't be afraid of not having money. Celebrate the fact that you don't have any money and just get one of these. This is like 1997, 98. So he was like, get one of these like small digital cameras and then, and then edit it yourself on a, on a, on a computer. And, and I suddenly was inspired and I went out and I I didn't go to film school or anything, but I I did have a Barnes and no, I worked at Barnes and Noble and I had a discount there. So I got all the books I could on digital filmmaking and, um, and then I, I came home and, and, and found out that, you know, my uh, guy from my dad's work called and said, uh, your dad was complaining of, uh, chest pains and we rushed him to the hospital and he, he died of a heart attack very unexpectedly. Like we didn't oh, know wow. there was, he, exactly. he was, he wasn't really like a, you know, he was a pretty healthy guy. So, but it rocked me a lot. It rocked me that, that, uh, he was 49 oh, and was I was, you know, I was like, you know, in, in, in my, in my. I think I was 30 and I, I, it just kind of rocked me on a, on a mortality level, you know, that, well, I always thought there was time, you know, and (laughs) I got about 20 grand of inheritance and my mother told me you should really make, you should try to make that movie that your dad was talking to you about. And so I went out, I just had like my brother-in-law and, and, and my wife at the time and my sister-in-law and we all lived in this teeny little crappy house in Memphis. And we were making this movie with everything we had.
1: We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show.
0: And I cut it together all myself on, on, a, on Adobe premiere and learned a lot about filmmaking from that movie. Mm-hmm. But uh, then, then that, you know, that movie not only opened the door to Hollywood for me because it it, it played the Hollywood Film Festival and it, it won an award, and then I got an agent. And the agent asked, "Well, what do you want to do next?" And I was like, "Well, I made a sequel to Poor and Hungry called Hustle and Flow, and it was going to be in, it's in the same crime world in Memphis, but it you know has the same kind of heart that was in my first movie." And then Stephanie Elaine, who is the producer of Hustle and Flow, and then John Singleton, um, read the script, but then they watched Poor and Hungry. And, and John was very much like, well, this guy's a regional filmmaker. He's from, you know, he's, he's, he's doing a movie about Memphis and in Memphis. And if, if this movie poor and hungry just had money behind it and stars, you know, or, or, or at least name actors, you know, it could probably, you know, go somewhere. Yeah. And, and so when you watch hustle and flow, it's really about me. And I mean, it's a, it's, it, it's us making that first movie in that crappy house, no air conditioning, doing everything we can. But
1: instead of music.
0: It, yeah. Yeah. That's basically what it is.
1: And from, you know, cause I remember when hustle and flow came out, I was coming out with my first film that was going through the festival circuit and doing all of that stuff as well. It was 2005. And I mean, when hustle and flow hit, cause I was at that Sundance and, the insanity. I mean, this is Sundance 05 o- is a very yep. different Sundance than 2023. Like it's right. It's a, it had more power back then. The market was different. The, there were still DVD sales. There was all sorts of stuff that was happening back then. But I mean, it's one of those, you know, in the 90s, every week there was a new, you know, a John Singleton, uh, a, a Robert Rodriguez, a Kevin Smith. So in the early 2000s, Hustle and Flow hit and it was it was explosion in the indie space so there was a lot of talk about it and i remember when because john you know the late great john singleton um when he was doing the rounds i was i was like looking like how this craig guy get this thing made how did he get this cast how did john singleton get involved and then i remember and correct me if i'm wrong in one of his interviews he's like well the studio wouldn't give me the money so i put up the money he did he actually which is one thing you never do as a filmmaker is put your own cash in at yeah. that level. And he's like, No, I'm gonna write a check because that's how much I believe in this. And and he gave you your shot. It was pretty yeah. remarkable. It's unheard of. It's really unheard of in Hollywood.
0: Oh, it is. I I I bring it up all the time. Like he and, and it's interesting you bring that up about just the culture of Sundance at the time because you know, I was reading all those books that were about like the the you know th- there was a, there was even this one book and I can't remember, but it was kind of like tracking the the growth of Sundance and then the growth of oh, um, Miramax, I believe at this and and then and it's really interesting because and this is what I I have to give myself credit for for like trying to just read all the books that I could because I learned a lot about how it worked and I'll never forget we were in. It was like 3 a.m in the morning and john is the bidding war is happening after that first screening at hustle and flow oh
1: god that must have been amazing
0: and i mean to watch that go down was crazy but i'll never forget the moment where this guy uh richard klubeck who who was um uh, one of the agents that was negotiating for john singleton and he turned to me and he was like so what's important to you and i said well i only have two requirements one that uh, nobody changed the cut. The cut is the cut. Um, that's the, the movie. I, I, we won't be changing that. Um, and I want no options. And and they were like, wow, how do you know about options? And it was because I'd read these books. And what I knew about these books was that like right around the time of like, like late nineties into the two thousands, Harvey Weinstein had figured out a new model where he would buy these movies, but he was kind of buying the filmmaker. So he would he would buy the movie and then he would make you sign, you would be happy to sign it, but you 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 would you would sign basically a negotiated what your next three films for Harvey at a negotiated price that was or a set price, excuse me. So even if you suddenly were Guillermo de Toro and you became like Guillermo de Toro and you had no movies that Harvey Weinstein wanted to make and you wanted to go to somebody else to make a movie then Harvey would make a deal for himself to get him out of that contract. And so I, I had read about that and I was like, I don't want that. And, and then, you know, John put his house up for collateral. We made the movie for under 3 million. I mean, it, we made the movie for about a million nine. I remember I shot it in about 23 days. We did like six day weeks here in Memphis. And um, we even had like mo- it was called modified low budget scale, which means that if Back you had then. more than than a certain amount, a uh, percentage of, of of actors or actresses of color or if they were handicapped, then you, you got to be in a different bracket. And so we really made it for very, very little money. And then John had this big, you know, 16 million dollar deal that he got out of it. And I always tell people, it's like, yeah, but that's what risk rewards you with, you know, cause everybody tells you don't put your own money in these projects. And John put, a, put his house up for it. You know, he joked with me every day. You better make a good movie or my kids aren't, are, are, are going to go back to public school, <laughs> 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 but I really have to give it to him. Cause it's not only that he took a shot with me, but he really mentored me. I mean, he really was, he knew that I had filmed a movie just all by myself with like a video camera in my hands. But then he would he would really kind of like come over to me and just go like, "We're gonna make our day." So if you really had to shoot this next scene with three setups, what would you, you know, what would yeah. be those setups? And and that that's when I started to learn how to how to marshal a day, you know.
1: Right. That's the thing that they don't teach you very often in, in school or or if you're doing your own indie is like, you can't make your day if you're like half quarter page out, third of a page out. After day one, after day three, the whole thing is going downhill. You, you won't so make the true. movie. The movie's done. You yep. have to make your day. You have to make your day. You have to make your day. And it's and it's always compromise, isn't it? Like you show up with like this beautiful shot list of like, I'm going to do these Spielberg shots with some Sorsese and some Coppola and maybe throw a little Hitchcock in there. And at the end of the day is, all right, we're going to do this in a one-er. Uh, we're just going to put it on sticks. Yep. Everyone act five minutes. Yep. Let's go. <laughs>
0: Oh, it's so stressful. It's so stressful, and you think, <laughs> and you think we'd learn. You know, you think no, that we'd get no. better at it. You think that it would eventually go away, but it doesn't. It just, I mean, it, I, it, always, I've, I I've heard so many stories of like really like accomplished filmmakers that still weep, you know, oh, yeah. on set because oh, yeah. they just couldn't get that last shot that they think that they needed and it's so crucial. You know,
1: I always love, I always love going on when I'm on a set uh, first day with my first day, I used to, I, used, I love bringing this. Like, it's stupid shot list like stupid it's like it'll never happen but they don't know me so i'll give it to them and then there's that awkward conversation they're like right before the first shot they're like can i um can i just talk to you about a couple things the first (laughs) day i'm like "Eh." we we
0: discussed the work
1: i mean um so there's 128 setups here um (laughs) i go i know they're just there and i'll pick and choose as we go but they're there just in case (laughs)
0: You know, I have to say, I, I, I don't do shotless.
1: Oh, you don't. I like, I, 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 I'm sure
0: I, I'm sure I could and should, and, and, but I, I find that you really do have to show up on that day and find out what the day is, is bringing you. And, and really all that prep that you did the night before really could go right out the window. And you really do sometimes go like, oh, I think I am going to have to do this in two shots. And what would I have to do in two shots? Because you're marshalling the day. Uh, and I, I, there's, there's been a few times where, uh, you know, a studio head saying like, I remember they, they always send someone else. They send some minion to say like, well, you know, the, the this the studio head was wondering if maybe you could make some shot, you know, if you did your shot list the night before and, and I'll say who suggested that, you know, and they, and they get all nervous and everything like that. And, and so, um, I, I, I understand it. I'm a, I'm a very agreeable guy, but I just find that, that uh, unless you're doing like a stunt sequence, or you're doing something oh, that yeah. definitely needs something like yeah. that. But otherwise I kind of like just to get there with the actors and figure out how we're going to do
1: it right then and there. Yeah. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. And I would agree with you too. Early in my career, I would be—I had a little bit more gusto in me, and I would do all that kind of stuff. But later, as I started directing more and more, you just kind of get an instinct for it, and you yeah. come on set and you just go, "Oh yeah, just put it over here. Let's get this over here. Like, yeah, give me a thirty-two here." Let's and you just start—you just figure it out on the fly. Yeah. Um, but if there's something special you want, like, you know what? I really want to do this, this kind of fun way. And I'll bring maybe a few shots that or I'll talk to the DP prior to it to kind of set it all up for it. But yeah, having, a, I don't do the hundred as much anymore it's, Whenever, because we know.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's like, you know, it's going to go right out the window really. Um, but I do feel that, I mean, I'll tell you when I really felt like I learned how to direct was I had already made let's see, uh, four features. And, and then I started in on empire, like directing television. Like I had done a, I'd done like about three pilots and, and, and one episode of the shield, but to go into like episode after episode, after episode on empire, I, I, I understood Spielberg better. Like, cause I'd read everywhere that like Spielberg really cut his teeth on television, early television. And that's when I felt like I, for the first time, I was a director because there was a there was a sense of me not being important. I mean, I know that sounds a little contradictory, but like, you know, you can't say like, well, I want it this way. They're like, well, okay, have it your way. But, you know, if you're not done, you know, we're going to get someone in here that'll do it because you have eight days and that's it. And that really, I started thinking differently, like as something as simple as extras, you know, that, which is never simple, but like when I'm on a feature, sometimes I'll be like, well, I got to have 300 extras, obviously for the scene. And then you <laughs> argue and argue and argue and argue and
1: it's <laughs> <20. laughs>
0: Right. And then you, but in television, there's no discussion. They're like, no, you have 20. You that that's, that's what you're getting and you need to figure it out. And so then it starts exercising these different muscles in you. Then you're like, mm-hmm. okay, well, wait a minute what if we just do this, like with a long lens, kind of pointing down this hallway and we just pack this hallway with the 20 people and we don't really see that we just have 20 people. And then that's how we'll create a, a, a cluttered yes. space or so, you know, it. and I don't know if I would have felt that way or done that if I just got what I wanted and it just had a, a bunch of people in there. And so it it, it, when I, when I went to do Dolomite is my name after all that, and everybody was so like, worry that like man you're going to be working with Eddie Murphy and and are you scared and and I said actually I'm really not I I really feel like Empire has prepared me for this moment and and I already made a bunch of features you know so I I felt very confident going into that movie
1: let me ask you what was you know working with someone like John on Hustle and Flow and, and him mentoring you what was like the biggest lesson you learned about filmmaking or writing from John because I mean John's just such a legendary filmmaker I watched boys in the hood I mean thousands of times it was just such a masterpiece of a piece of work
0: John John said something I still I will still hear John in my head on set um and one thing that he said to me that I really took to heart was and he punches when he says um he's like shoot the meat shoot the meat man Uh, shoot the scene, make your master, not just some little stupid crawling across, like, you know, that, that slow You see it a lot in TV. It's like, it's like a master that's kind of moving a little bit, (laughs) but, um, but he, he, he believed that you needed to make your master like Spielberg does his, his wonders that if, and and I'll never forget what he said. He said, you got to shoot the meat. You got to shoot it. You got to shoot it good because you never know what may happen. You may lose half your day because an actor, like you know, something like may hurt himself, or like you know, thunder comes along and or lightning, and and now you've got to shut down. <laughs> and you want to be able to know that if people turn the lights off on you, you've got, you've got your scene. And that that was yes. a that was a big one for me. That was like he's still a, he was still of that he, he really loved cinema. And, and so he, if you look at John's movies um, from four brothers, every, every movie he oh, does, yeah. he is a classic filmmaker mm-hmm. now. And what I mean by that is that there's a lot of filmmakers today and, and God knows I'm, I can be just as guilty of it where it's kind of like, you're just kind of shooting heads. You do your master, you do your medium. And then it's just like, you're just hoping that the editor kind of like creates the rhythm of it because you're going to cut to that person. Then you're going to cut to that person cut to that person where John was very much like, no, how do we, how do we stage this within the, within the single Um, where everybody, you know, you you, you get the story told and people are moving within the frame. Mm-hmm. That's like, John Ford. That's you know. That's that's Wells. That's 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 Weiler. That that that's all those films that he watched and studied, and and I still every time I sit with my director of photography, I do kind of go like, okay, I know I'm going to pop in for some singles here and there, but w- if we had to shoot the meat, how would we shoot it? And I
1: love the meat, I love the meat. Yeah. thing that's great. it's so
0: it's so John. It really is. But uh yeah, I, I think that that was probably the 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 biggest lesson. And then, you know, also to just trust that that it, it, it's funny because so much of our advice usually comes pre post, right? Right. All the advice that you everybody wants, like, how do I get a movie made? And then like, how do you direct? Right. But no one ever really gives you advice about the whole editorial process. Right. Mm -hmm. And John, I was just, I remember I saw the first edit of hustle and flow that just the editor, you know, cut and I'd never seen anything like that. I'd never, that's the, that's the first heartbreak of a filmmaker is when you, you've been, you've been dreaming of your movie. You've been watching dailies And now you're watching a very rough, raw assemblage of your movie. It doesn't have the music cues that you think it needs to have. It doesn't have the pacing, but worse than that, it's now real. The rubber is hitting the road. It is no longer in fantasy. This is what you have. And now you need to make something out of this. I pulled over on Olympic Boulevard and I sobbed so hard that snot was pouring out of my nose. It was, (laughs) it was so bad. And then like, and john calls me up he's like what's wrong it's like i've just i've just totally messed up this movie man i just you know and he's like you just watch the edit assembly just like oh shut shut up man you know he's just you know (laughs) get on home go to sleep you know everything's gonna be good you know, get in there and everything he always kind of just kept me in this perspective that i think when you get older or, or or when you've made more films you begin to see like okay I'm about to go in. I'm about to. Ha- I'm about to watch this cut. I know it's going to drive me insane, mm-hmm. but relax. And that's that's the other big lesson that he gave me. Yeah.
1: Marty still does that. Marty still after the first cut, he goes, "This is horrible. This is crap." He walks out yeah. he's like, "This is garbage. This is absolute garbage." And like, and then Thelma has to bring him back in, and it's okay, <laughs> Marty. It's fine. It's fine. It's all that kind of stuff. Now, I always wanted to ask you this question, man. How in God's green earth did you get Black Snake Moan made? Like, that is the most insane concept. You know, it just, wow. (laughs) How did, how who put money up behind that? I know you had a little heat from Hustle and Flow and that probably helped, but man, that's still a pretty risque film.
0: I would like to really give credit where credit is due. And the reason that movie got made was because of the late Brad Gray who oh, yeah. who ran Paramount. Now, Brad, his first order of business at Paramount, this was before he took over at Paramount. It was like what Sundance was like in January and he was taking over like in March. But John was very smart and John had two prints of Hustle and Flow made. So he had one at Sundance and he had the other one playing simultaneously in, in Brad Gray's private screening room. And knowing full well that he kind of wanted the movie to be a Paramount. Right. So before Brad even became official, like on the on the on the clock, so to speak, he was watching Hustle and Flow and he told everybody, like, I think you should you should try to go buy that movie because, you know, MTV and BET, you know, we could really use the Viacom machine and all that kind of stuff. So then what happened was, is that they made a deal with John, right? And the John deal was for, see, the 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 purchase price of Hustle & Flow was in two categories. It was, they purchased the movie for $9 million, but then they made a deal with John Singleton where he got two, what are called put pictures, which means like kind of no matter what, he can make a movie as long as it's under $3 million. And he had two of those because he brought Hustle & Flow to Paramount. We, both, we brought it to them numerous times and they passed on it. And we just wanted $3 million. And now they paid nine for it. And so he was like, hey, I want to make more of these. And later he made one called the Illegal Tender where he just wanted to have complete control over his movies. When they bought that movie and they made that deal with John, they thought that I was a part of it. But remember what I said earlier, no options, right? I didn't want anything on it. So I will never forget this moment where, because I wrote Black Snake Moan before Hustle and Float was made. Mm -hmm. And while we're flying back to LA from Sundance, I saw two people reading Black Snake Moan. We'll be right back after a word
1: from our sponsor. And now back to the show.
0: And I thought, oh, this is that heat I've been hearing about. Like this is that thing that maybe I have a shot there. So John really loved it and Stephanie really loved it. And they knew it was crazy. And and they and 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 yet they they also saw what I wanted to do with it because it was very much about like connection and anxiety. And there was a heart behind it. It wasn't just like exploitation, even though it, you know, it was kind of like a, a blues fable. Um, but uh we started meeting with other studios and then we got Sam. And then Brad Gray was like, well, wait a minute. Why is he going off to make a a movie somewhere else? We just bought Hustle & Flow and it's going to be coming out. So uh, they go, well, you don't have a deal with him. he's like, oh, so I'll never forget going over to his house. I'll never forget this. The the ivy, there was an ivy wall. I was like calling his assistant going like, I think I'm at his house. I just can't see anything. They go like, no, we see you. And this wall of (laughs) ivy moves. And when it moved, it revealed this just really muscular African-American guy in a black Armani suit with black sunglasses and an earpiece. And he had a Rottweiler that was right next to him. That was just, it was like, it was, it was like you were entering like a a cartel, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and I I come in and Brad comes out and he goes, okay, you want to make this radiator movie. That's what he called it. (laughs) And I said, and he goes, you sure you don't want to do something else? I know that like we can, you know, there's all these kind of properties that we have and we can put you on it. And I said to him, I said, well, I've read a lot of books about, about filmmakers in my position. And the way I see it is that I think that the second movie always is kind of a a risky thing, you know? Um, And uh, I'm pretty confident that I could probably get a job as a director doing you know, franchise stuff or, or, or other stuff later on, but I really feel like I should use this time to get something made that normally wouldn't get made. And he said, I respect that. And he goes, well, I, um, he goes, I don't, how do you put it? I don't bet on races. I bet on horses. And, uh, he goes, so we're going to make black snake Moan. Is that, is that fine? Let's just, can, is it, can we just say right here that we're going to make it? And I go, if you want to make it, sir, then absolutely. And he made it and he was proud of it. And, and people were, were, uh, telling him he was an idiot for, for doing it. Why are you going to do this? No, one's going to come see it. And nobody came see it. Um, but I always think about, there's that day that Paramount called and said, look, We've got foot loose and we really want to do something with it. Do you think you could do it? And I was like, yes, sir. Cause I felt like this was, this was me going, like, I, I told you guys I'll, I'll be there for you on something that maybe, you know, uh, may not be about chaining people to bluesman's radiators. And, 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 uh, ah, that's and that's, that's how we, that's how we did it. I'm so proud that it, it, it exists in the world because thank you. I, I now, I now just feel like I don't, I just don't I mean, I definitely don't see a world where a theatrical release would have been attempted on something like that. I can see like maybe Black Snake Moan being at a streamer or something like that. But even then, it's going to be a little bit wild to get that done because, you know, you would get the kind of studio notes like, oh, what is this? What kind of tone is it? But
1: that movie doesn't get made today. There's no way that movie gets made today.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's 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 definitely no way volatile you know
1: there's no way that that movie gets made today i'm so and i glad there's certain movies like that that i'm glad they exist um uh, i think tim burton's mars attacks is one of those films for me
0: yeah i'm like
1: i can't when i walked out of there i'm like man i don't know what just happened but i i'm glad it exists you know i just i'm glad that that movie got made and there's a handful of those throughout cinema but black snakes mom is one of them it's like there's just no way that gets made today there's just no no amount of heat allows yeah. that film to get made in today's environment, and it was tough in that you know fifteen oh, years yeah. ago. <laughs> well, you tough. know,
0: and and it came out. It was a, such an interesting year because no one really like the movie biz. The movie industry was changing. It came out in two thousand and seven, and that was like a real pivotal year for what was happening on a global level so mm-hmm. you know you were making movies that china had to play and mm-hmm, south mm-hmm. america had to play and even russia it's so funny how like you know the very people that now are so much in the news right now 2007 was all about trying to make movies for them correct and uh and so you, you know you had carnahan's movie i think smoking aces was coming yeah, out at that yeah. time you had you had uh death proof at the same time along you know with uh with, with, Quentin, um, Quentin and Robert. with uh with yeah. forbidden planet and Um, and it, it, none of us did well in, in the audience, like none of us, like it was a bad, it was a bad move for Quentin. and Well, Joe, I mean,
1: I've, I've talked to Joe about smoking aces and he still says that he makes more money off of smoking aces now than he's made on anything.
0: It's so funny that that, that worked out. So, so here's, what's interesting is that the head of Paramount home video, like called me up and just said, we want you to know something about black snake Moan I was like, Oh, Oh, great.
1: Here it comes. Like yeah. Black
0: Snake Moan not only did double our expectations, it not only tripled our expectation, it yep. quadrupled our, our expectations, yep. which means to say and I go, yeah, people probably don't want to go out to a theater to see this movie, but they're dying to watch it at home. And that's and so I, I've, I've always felt good that I've yet to really make anything that like cost a studio money i've i've at the very least broke even <laughs> right and exactly. uh and so uh yeah i'm I'm proud that i have that that movie behind me
1: <laughs> yeah and in a time where you you know it came out in a time when there was still home video Yeah, that, that was that was a real revenue generator
0: <clears> and now <clears throat> what's so strange what's so strange is is now there's that meme of sam from black snake mode yes, yes where he's just kind of yeah blink it like looking kind of like with yeah. the white hair and the and and that gets sent around i remember talking to a class of 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 um my my daughters and i brought that up and they're like oh yeah we you know we use that all the time that's from your movie so so they're just looking at a frame or like a, a series of frames because he's blinking and moving a little bit and and they don't know what it's from But it has its own life i mean the same thing could be said for uh here in town you know our our memphis grizzlies uh our our basketball team whenever we go to the playoffs and we're like really in the mix they start playing that song from hustle and flow whoop that trick and twenty thousand people start chanting whoop that trick and i found out that like my daughter and all her friends they didn't know that was from hustle and flow they just thought that was the thing you said at basketball games and it's oh, yeah. that's what's so interesting about, about the generations today. They'll get a clip of something or they'll get a little bit of it, but they don't know that it's got this history that it's connected to. It's right. it's literally like visual hip hop, you know?
1: Right. No, abs- absolutely. Oh, yeah, dude. That's, that's <laughs> remarkable. Now, listen, all the times you've been on set, what is the craziest thing that ever happened to you on set? How did you overcome it as a director?
0: Hmm. On any Let's of see, your well, what are the ones that I want to talk about? I was at like, um, publicly,
1: yeah, publicly. What can you say? <laughs> when we when we stop recording, you can tell me the other ones. But for right now,
0: <laughs> I've got two I can tell you about. That. Well, you know, I let's see. What is the craziest thing that's ever happened? Um, oh, man, you're stumping me there. I I mean, I I think there's always been, I there there hasn't been something that. Uh, uh that, of course that I can talk about that would be like completely uh like derailed a production or something like that it would always be um uh like happy accidents or something like that so I'll tell you just the craziest night I've ever had on set was um uh in Hustle and Flow uh there is a scene at a at, it's it's a, a roller skating rink here in Memphis called the Crystal Palace and it was outside and it had this glorious like you know neon sign that lit up and I really wanted to do kind of like a cruising scene where everybody's out there with their cars that I'd sometimes see on the weekend where they are like you know they're hopping their you know they're they're Pump, you know, they're pump cars and everything like that and, yeah. and just hundreds of people there and basically everybody said like you got to figure out another way to do this because there's no way we can afford all these extras and there's no way we can get a car like this we'll be right back after a word from our sponsor and now back to the show and John Singleton was like absolutely not so John went on Four different radio stations that day and said, Hey, we're making a movie. You want to be in my movie? Then you come out to the Crystal Palace, you bring your ride, you bring a car, and hundreds of people showed yeah. Fat, up for that. Fast scene. and
1: Furious style. Fast and Furious style.
0: Totally fast and furious style for no money. Like of we course. didn't, we didn't, we didn't pay for those cars, those cars just showed up. People just wanted to show off their cars. All those extras, all those people. And as the night started going on. And then the weed smoke started like just getting thicker at a certain point, John was getting so excited, but I remember like grabbing John and at a certain point, I, 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 I like grabbed him by the shoulders and I was like, am I in South central right now? He goes, no, I go, where am I? He goes, you're in Memphis. I go, no, you're in Memphis. You're now in my community. And I'm telling you, we got half, half an hour before something pops off right now. Cause it's getting like way too unhinged. And people are like, start. I'm seeing like a couple of arguments happening here. When John, we we've got one security guard, because that's all we could afford, and like we weren't, we weren't, we weren't that big of a movie. But I swear to God, like that was the night that I thought that everything that was just going to explode. And every time I see that shot, it looks like we have so much money. It Looks like we we. I remember that shot.
1: I remember that. It was so
0: reckless and so amazing that John just went on all these different radio stations and said, "You want to be in the movie? Show up." And I mean, we we had like people down the block trying to get into the movie and I, I, it, it, it was a scary night. But that was like the night that I felt like, man, I'm I'm running and gunning as like a filmmaker. You know, it's a awesome. it's it, it was it was scary, but exciting.
1: There's, so there's another movie you made um, that I absolutely adored. And I didn't even know it was you until the credits rolled. I'm like, oh, my God, Dolomite Dolomite. Oh, yeah. Is. Dolomite is my name. What an amazing! Every filmmaker needs to watch that because it is—you just smell the hustle of an independent filmmaker doing things at a time when they just weren't done. And he yeah. controlled his—he controlled his content. He controlled his his IP. He just—and he was making bank back then. He just figured out the yeah. hustle. And one last movie I want to ask you about, man, is Coming to America. I mean, yeah, arguably in my opinion, the greatest comedy ever made in my personal, I quote that I can quote every single line in that movie. It is a masterpiece at every, oh, level, yeah. oh, every yeah. level. So how did you approach attempting to make a sequel to a masterpiece like that? Because it is absolute masterpiece. The first one,
0: you know, it's funny because I'm I'm far enough away from coming to America to that. I can kind of like think think about the whole experience because it was, it was really wild. First of all, like I, I, I did them back to back. Like I did Dolomite as my name went right into coming to America. Okay, And, um, I remember, I remember Eddie asking me to do it. And of course I was like, well, <laughs> how do I not do that? Because I, I mean, I'm such a huge John Landis fan. Oh. I think, I mean, like everything, like, like the blues brothers. And I mean, I, I can quote every line from three amigos to you, but I remember talking to uh, Jody, my the director of photography on it. And we were, we were, we were, I can't remember where we were, we were in a van, like a, like a locations van. And we had made like 10 episodes of empire together. So we were, we were close. Right. And, and Jody's Black And and I, I kind of leaned into him and I was like, you know what we're doing, right? We're, we're, we're kind of doing black star Wars. And uh, he goes, that's exactly what we're doing. And it was like, it was like this moment that we kind of like had to say, it. and, and, and what we meant by that was coming to America means so much to everybody Ugh. that, uh, that, it's it's really going to be held to this this uh the standard that's very tricky uh to to navigate with it and so every time we would come to decisions about coming to america because it's the first time i've ever actually i've i've usually developed movies or like or 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 written a movie and it was the it was the first time really that i've ever come on to direct something that had been moving for like probably about 5 years or something like that and um and I remember just thinking like you would talk to people about, you know, coming to America's coming out and everybody would say like, well, is like, is, is, are the, are the barbershop guys going to be in it? Are, you know, is, is, um, you know, Randy Watson going to be in it, uh, they, they would just constantly come at you with like, well, it better have this, it better have that. And, Absolutely. and you know, and, and, so you, you realize that you're tied to, uh, people want to have that experience again. They want to see those characters again. And that's when like, I began to kind of relax a little bit more with the daunting nature of like doing a sequel to, to something that's so perfect. It's just going like, you know, I'm not here to replace coming to America. I'm here to like make a movie that everybody can come to, to have some fun seeing these characters again and have a good time. And what was so strange about it was I, I just couldn't wait for a theatrical experience of it cut to it's a pandemic (laughs) and now the very age group that would probably lead the ticket sales is my age group and 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 you're and and so and 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 we're the ones that are no matter what not going to a movie theater you know and so one day i get a call that paramount has now sold it to amazon and amazon did this enormous campaign for it I mean, it was, there were, there were wrapping airplanes and flying flags all over the world. And so it launched on a Friday and, and I remember getting this call from Amazon saying, you got to get on the phone right now. We're having an emergency meeting. And I was like, oh, damn it. Now here we go. What's wrong? And they get us on the phone. They said, we had a 30 day goal and we, we achieved it in less than eight hours. (laughs) I mean, uh,
1: viewership, you mean viewership. Yeah, <laughs> of course. Cause everybody wanted to go see that movie. Everybody. And wanted what to see I, it. and what
0: I found out was that like, not only were everybody watching it, but then like kind of what Jody and I were talking about on that day is like, and what we really want is that see coming to America is this movie. That's just been playing on TV and, and, and actually like some, and, 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 you know, mass TV, meaning like all the swearing had been taken out of it and everything. So you have sure. kids kind of watching coming to america so you had like three generations of people watching coming to america during a pandemic where they just wanted to kind of like have a good time so people were having watch parties with the people that they felt comfortable with and it was a and 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 for one weekend in my life the globe was watching this movie like the entire world was just watching it and so I felt good about that. I felt, I felt like, okay, well, we had like a good time with, with coming to America and we, and we had some good entertainment and we made Amazon's, you know, biggest hit at the, at the time. And, uh, um, and then just try to like, you know, keep in mind that there's going to be haters with it. Like, like everything, like, that's why I meant about like black star Wars. It's like, it was, it was this thing that people are so precious with it that, um, that you're, you're, you know, you're going to get, you're going to get people kind of hating on things, but I just didn't, I didn't let any of that affect me or anything and just had you, a good time.
1: But you also had a little bit of experience with that with Footloose because when you redid Footloose, I mean, that's a precious eighties movie. It's like a it is. classic eighties. And I remember cause I was in the Ellen screening room because I was at Ellen that day for whatever reason with my wife. And they're like, Hey, you guys want to watch Footloose? I'm like, cool. And so we went off and watched Footloose for two hours and you came out. And the first words you said were, Why would anybody want to remake Footloose? Like it's right. perfect. Like I said the same thing, everybody. But then you're like, Well, I did this and I did that. And it's a little bit different here and there because but I wouldn't want to try to remake Footloose. Here's you can't.
0: A, <laughs> here's what's so funny about Footloose <clears throat> is um it it actually got it got a, a lot of really good reviews and mm-hmm. and it it the audience scores were always really, really high on it. But I understood people going like Why would you, how dare you remake Footloose? Because I am a huge fan of the original movie. But now, here's what's kind of interesting. Like, within the last couple of months, Mm -hmm. Miles Teller became this phenomenon on TikTok with 13-year-old girls. Of course. I don't know what Miles did and in, 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 I, I mean, he's been around for for a, a minute, you know, but something happened in this TikTok world where every one of my daughter's friends are like, oh, my God, Miles Teller. And I was like, are you talking about Miles? And they were like, oh, my God, Miles Teller. And they could not get enough of Miles Teller. And then I started kind of like hearing from all my daughter's friends just going like, yeah, you know, dad, no one ever watches the original Footloose. And I was like, well, that's sad because you got to watch the original Footloose. It's the it's 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 the one it's, I grew up on. It's what it's sure, it's. Sure. it's it's kevin bacon it's john Lithgow. you know it's diane weiss you know you (laughs) got to see it they're like no but it doesn't have miles in it it doesn't have you know it it, and and so footloose is having like this wild renaissance right now (laughs) and and the the soundtrack is being sold and 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 it it goes back to like that kevin smith uh uh bit of advice that i still think is the best bit of advice for every filmmaker Mm -hmm. which is every movie has its day (laughs) We'll be
1: right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. And
0: it may not be the day that the studio wants it to land on. Like he has this great conversation that he always talks about mall rats that like he made clerks and then he made mall rats. And not only did nobody come to see it, but critics always crapped on it and everything. And but but then now he, you know, many years later, there's these kids that come up to him just like oh my god you know you made mall rats and it means so much to me and he's like really because like it was really kind of like a thing of pain with me back in the day and i i I know that with like black snake moan and i felt it like i wish footloose maybe was like a big big hit it did okay but like you 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 then later like years later so you know something will just kind of like connect all of a sudden
1: yeah all of a sudden
0: and so I'm, I'm very, I'm, I'm, I'm very, very happy about, uh, about, uh, uh all, all of my daughter's friends. Like they, that's the poster I'm signing. I'm not signing <laughs> hustle and flow. I'm signing my remake <laughs> of footloose, which I find hilarious.
1: <laughs> it's amazing how this world works sometimes, my friend. It's really amazing. Now I'm going to ask you a few questions. Ask all my guests. Sure. Uh, what advice would you give a filmmaker wanting to break into the business today?
0: I mean I'll tell you the 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 hardest thing um is I mean first and foremost the hard, the hard thing that we all just struggle with which is truly like a discipline like to 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 every day treat it like it's a job even though no one's paying you mm-hmm. um to how how can I learn more about the business how can I uh, you know I I think you should read trades if it helps you know who to go to um you don't want to pitch all your movies to one place, this place may, you know, today, a 24 is going to want to hear one pitch and Fox searchlight may want to hear something else. Like you need to know where you're going. And and sometimes that means like really being informed, reading as much as you can um, and writing every day. If writing is a part of your world, which I think it should be because I think if you really want to break into the business, you got to write your way in. That's the, mm-hmm. that's the leverage that you have. Um, and it also just informs you as a director. you 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 learn about storytelling more um at, through writing um uh, as well as directing. Um, but really, like the hard one, the really bit of hard advice is, um, do you really know who you are yet? And I think for young filmmakers, that's always a little bit mm. nerve-wracking, you know, mm-hmm. And what I usually do, is I'll show them like, um, you know, Spike Lee's, you know, uh, We Cut Heads, right? I'll show uh, um, Sofia Coppola's short film, uh, Lick, um, the Stars, Lick the Star, right? And then I'll show Following by Christopher Nolan. And I'll, or or Pi from Darren Aronofsky, right? Uh, and just ask questions of like, can you see their later films here. And usually you can, you know, I mean, even that 15 minute short that Sophia Coppola made with these girls in high school where they've got the star on their, you know, that they've dr- dr- drawn on their, their hand and they say, lick the star. And it's like, the girl says, what is that? And she's like, oh, it means kill the rats, you know, backwards. But she had like cool pop and punk music in it. There was It was fashion forward. You saw the, you saw like If you turn the lights out on Sofia Coppola after that short, you could go like, oh, she's into fashion. She's into this particular type of music. She's into this dynamic of narrative. And I think that's hard for young people who are hungry to get into the business to allow themselves the time and the effort to find what those elements in themselves are you look at an Ari Aster movie and you go like, Oh, I think I know this is an Ari Aster movie. Right. <laughs> but that's him finding it. You know what I mean? And and I think that, that um, the mistake a lot of young people make, and what I mean by young is not necessarily young, but like young in the business trying to get into it uh, is they want to get in and get paid. You know, they want to get in and get financed. And I just sometimes say like, do you, because you know, really the best way to be a filmmaker is to step in crap every once in a while. And that's when you learn and you don't want to be doing that with like a bunch of money hanging over you where this town may say like, Hey, we shouldn't have hired that person. Um, You need to make some crap. And that's the, where the flowers grow out of, you know, and, and that's where you learn like, Oh, okay. You know what? I think I don't really do these oners that I'm seeing and all these things. Oh, you know what? I think that maybe slow motion isn't my thing. I mean, I know that's cool in that action moment that I saw in like three movies that I wanted to, to copy, but maybe my thing is this thing that I do. And and I think that that's, that's the the biggest bit of advice I'd give to somebody because that doesn't require people giving you a bunch of money and you knocking on doors. That may be you. Going like, okay, well, what are the movies that I feel like are me and what is my life experience about? And what are the, what are the stories that I feel that I want to be, that I want to tell and like, kind of like my dad dying. I think that's why, that's why that movie was so important to me is that, is that for the first time I was thinking about, okay, well, what if this is my last movie? Not my first, it would be my first and last movie. So what do I want? Like my son to know about me from this movie. Right. What's the soundtrack of it? What's the look? What, what's the, where's the heart and soul of this movie? And where does it land? And, and I think that, that that is something that people can figure out uh, uh, without some sort of like uh, door opening for them into Hollywood. And they'll respect you more if you know who you are once you get into the business.
1: Very much so. Very, very much so. Um, what is the lesson that took you the longest to learn, whether in the film business or in life?
0: That, uh, that, uh, this too shall pass. Um, you <laughs> yes. know, it, it's just hard, you know, uh, you, you experience something, uh, and it's, it's harmful to you on that day. And you just think that you're done and you're destroyed. <laughs> it's over. And, and, and you've, you know, it, it, the gig is up. They know you're a fraud, you know, <laughs> and well, that's,
1: That's a given, isn't it? Though, isn't it? Well, don't we always think we're a fraud? I mean, everyone's absolutely.
0: (laughs) If you're a good artist, you do. We're making make believe. How can we not feel like a fraud? But, but (laughs) I think that that um uh, you know, I'm lucky that like hustle and flow was right when Twitter was happening, but it wasn't at the point of Twitter where people could like crap (laughs) on you with such virtuosity as it's done today and with anonymity to some extent. (laughs) And I think that uh that that really like now I'm finding like, no, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'm going to move on to the, onto the next. I, I, I saw, um, uh, a documentary on the, on the stage director, uh, Hal Prince and, and, and he, he does something that I was like, Oh, I'm doing that, which is on his opening night of his musicals, which is on a Friday. Um, he schedules a breakfast the following Saturday with his collaborators to discuss his next show. Mm. And I was like, that, that's a Mac move because that, that shows you that you are in the, you are in the flow of being a creator and your worth is not completely based on the success or failure of what you just made. You're in an arc that is going beyond, that is going over decades you're not in an arc that's going over a weekend and whether or not people are going to go see your movie or go see your show. And and I think that that's that's probably the one that as I as I come into my 50s, I was like, you know what? That I am I'm, I'm a little bit better with handling, okay, now I gotta I gotta deal with judgment and opinions that seem to be everywhere.
1: Oh yeah. Okay. And toughest question of all, three of your favorite films of all time.
0: Well, it, it, my I know my favorite, um, which is Purple Rain. Oh, so good! Uh, Purple Rain. I mean, I really think that Purple Rain for me has now surpassed Star Wars in and Raiders in viewing. Meaning, I usually show it to my cast and crew before I I start a picture. Um, I do uh, tutorials sometimes on the first eight minutes of. Purple Rain. I think the first eight minutes of Purple Rain is brilliant. Mm-hmm. Um, it it's all set to "Let's Go Crazy" this extended version, but you get you really know who your protagonist. You know that there's going to be a love story. You know that Morris Day is going to be a villain. Uh, you know how everybody feels, and you kind of even know what everybody wants. And the music never stops, but but the editing and the and the the visual set. You see, I think like three tongues within the first minute like you you know that sex is going to be a part of this, and it's kind of got this interesting look with these very like quick little shots of just people in a frozen state. like they're not freeze frame, but it, it's it's just so creative and inventive. And I know that people go like, "Oh, Craig, like the acting." and all and I was like, yeah, but it's kind of large it's kind of it's kind of opera
1: it is you know and no and question. and, yeah. and
0: you got to just kind of like go into it with that opera feel. So if I were like on a desert island, it would definitely have to be Purple Rain. But um, we'll
1: be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show.
0: I I still think that Godfather is just it's it's hard to deny that those themes of family and how much you're going to sell your soul um, to, uh, you know, to, to, um, to, to protect your family and to thrive, uh, the, the those themes are just so universal, you know, and they, and, and, and I showed it to my daughter recently and she loved it. And I was like, man, that's just, the, it's, it's funny that this movie still can, can move people. And then the, the third one is, um, John sales made a movie called mate Juan,
1: yeah, that is just a
0: perfect uh, uh, movie that yeah. I really try to urge as many people to see and uh, that I can. Uh, and and I, I had a great, great honor to be able to work with uh, James Earl Jones, where I got to tell him how much his character A Few Clothes meant to me when I was a, a young man. And his mo- he has a great monologue in it that begins with him saying, you shut your mouth, Peck of Wood. It's just the best <laughs> Best delivery of just smacking down some white hay seed that's calling him, you know, that's being a racist. And it, it, it's just power. But, it, and, and it's like, you know, Chris Cooper's, I like, think it's his first movie, really. Yeah, it and, is. And, yeah. You know, uh and so many people are in it that are just wonderful. But that, that, those are my three.
1: And I'll tell you, when I had John on the show, and it was like having a master class listening to him talk about story and directing. And he gave some of the best directing advice. Oh, God. Like he would just, just a so beautiful little 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 tweaks just little nuggets that you just yeah. go oh that would be per- you know what i'm doing that next time oh i'm doing that next time oh it's, it's so funny how nice.
0: film film people and especially film directors we still just need to collect all those those little gems we we you know and and the one thing that i always try to urge you know the the newer crop of of cinephiles that are coming i was like you know you you gotta look back you know it's oh, i'm yeah. glad i'm glad that you you love you know i i know that that you think that dark knight is a classic film in a, <laughs> and, and and i'm not saying it's not roger it's... roger i'm not saying it's not it's i love dark knight but but actually um i'm gonna show you this movie called heat
1: I oh, was you, read my, <laughs> you, <laughs> you know? read my mind and by it's the way heat
0: there's probably plenty of people that will be like okay but I'm going to now show you this movie Craig Rafifi <laughs> like Or it, thief it, it, right, right I, just, or thief which is oh so I just watched that recently but <laughs> but yeah it's like it, it's endless how much cinema there is that we have to learn from that's just further back than than necessarily right. what is con, what is now you know right. and uh and and to, I would love to have been in the room with John Sayles and learn all that
1: I mean, no, it's it's well, you could watch it at any time. I'll send you a link. It's it's just a it's a ninety minute tour de force of him talking about Lone Star, how he did the oneer in Lone Star, like you know, just the scene switch midway. I'm like, dude, John, how'd you do that? And he's like, wow, oh well, we had this guy and he fell down and jumped out of this because it's just in the one shot, it just it's a transition of like you know three decades or something like that and. And I'm like, how'd you do that? Because it was low budget, there was no CG. And he's like, oh yeah, well, you did this. And then we had the guy run around and he did that. I'm like, oh. And I'm not sure if it was John who told me this, but I I've read, I heard this somewhere. He's like, when you when you just about to yell, cut, hold on for three more seconds.
0: You know what? I <laughs> I learned that from editing my own movie because yeah. you wanna, and and it just takes one time for you to learn it. And that is like, I wanted to just do a really slow dissolve, but for- I I noticed that like I had somebody holding an imma- holding the thought and then you could see as the, the the slow dissolve was happening you could see them go like 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 they you I called cut too soon.
1: Right and and you just never know what they'll do too. Sometimes it's just a little magic happens. You got to leave that time for the magic. Craig, I could keep talking to you for hours, brother. I appreciate you uh having this conversation with us and hopefully it helps some young cinephiles coming up. Uh, behind us so I truly appreciate you and thank you for all the amazing work you've done and continue I can't wait to see what you come up with next my friend
0: oh thanks so much it was great great to be on with you today
1: I want to thank Craig so much for coming on the show and sharing his knowledge bombs with all of the tribe thank you so much Craig if you want to get links to anything we spoke about in this episode head over to the show notes at IndieFilmHustle.com forward slash six seven one thank you guys so much for listening as always keep that hustle flowing keep that dream alive